Um, so we are in, well, we've been going through the book of Matthew, and this is a little bit of a diversion from that. We're going to leave the book of Matthew for a week. Not completely. We'll, we have a few scriptures in Matthew. Um, but last week, um, we were in Matthew 5, where Jesus has asked about divorce, and Jesus answers that question. He's answering a specific question, and it sort of opens a can of worms. And I felt like, you know, I realized as I was working on that sermon last week that um, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon or a teaching on everything the Bible says about divorce and remarriage. I've heard, you know, sermons on specific verses, but not all of it. And and and, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, one is when you preach like I do through books of the Bible, you tend to not stop and do what I'm doing this morning, which is to cover the topic broadly. And so, but also it's a difficult topic to talk about. So many people that I know just in our church, um, and, and never mind just beyond that, how many people there would be have been either personally divorced or affected by divorce or hurt by divorce or um, have been a child of parents who were divorced. I mean, you know, when you think about that, it's, it's, it's an astronomical number. And it's very personal for those people. And so it becomes difficult to talk about because you're trying to navigate those issues. And it really is something that's easier to talk about face-to-face with an individual person where you can hear their story and, and, and talk about it. But then people end up not teaching on it. And so I'm going to do, I'm going to tackle it this morning. And I'm gonna, we're going to look at all the scriptures that I'll probably leave out a couple and maybe summarize depending on how time goes. But we're going to look at what the whole Bible says about the topic. Um, and I just want to encourage you that to avoid the, the pitfalls of, of letting your, your heart's agenda determine what you're going to believe and how you're going to read the scripture. Um, because the lack of clarity about this issue really hurts people. It hurts you. It hurts other people. Um, my concern is, is one that if you're thinking about getting married, that you slow down and you realize that it's a big deal. And also, if you're thinking about getting divorced, that you slow down and you realize it's a big deal. Um, and if you have been divorced, that you're able to really face what happened to you and wrestle with God and engage with God over it and get free and get experience the redemption of Christ in that area of your life instead of just sort of not looking at it. Okay, so that's kind of my goal. Um, it has this has a way of bringing out our defensiveness, but also bringing out our legalism. Okay, because as I've been studying, there's so much scholarship on this topic, and there's so many articles, and some of them are very defensive, like you know, divorce is not a big deal. Some of them are incredibly legalistic and put people in bondage, and that's bad too. We don't want either one of those scenarios, okay? Our first priority is to find out what the entire Bible teaches about divorce and remarriage. We cannot carry our desire to either defend our actions or to chastise others' actions into our Bible study, okay? We just want to look as best we can with a clean slate. We can't really do that, but as best as we can and see what does the Bible say? That's what God says, okay? And then go from there, because if it turns out you're wrong, just repent and receive forgiveness from God. 
Okay. It's, it, it's not that there's not a way out if you discover you're wrong. Okay. So, so I just want to put that out there before we get into this, <clears throat> um, because the first scripture we need to look at is Malachi 2, 13 through 16. And this is our foundational idea. Um, this is the bottom line. Let's read this together. Malachi 2, 13 through 16. He says, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. All right, so God is talking to through uh, the prophet Malachi, not the great Italian prophet Malachi. <laughs> That's my favorite Bible joke. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be joking. Um, uh, he, he's prophesying to the people of God, and he's saying, "You have the, divorce is just rampant among you, and because of that, I call you faithless, and I'm not even going to receive your worship. I'm not going to receive your offering." at the temple, okay? And so we need to kind of get this established right at the outset before we start talking about exceptions and all of that stuff, which we're gonna get into. We need to take it seriously, okay? That God actually hates divorce. In my experience, people who have been divorced also hate divorce. <laughs> they also sometimes hate marriage, which is bad, okay? Um, by definition, divorce is a failed marriage. So don't use a failed example as a reason to hate the thing, okay? Um, but we should hate divorce the way God hates it, okay? God allows divorce because of the hardness of their hearts, not because he's pleased with it, okay? Matthew 19, 3 through 12, we'll get into that in a minute. Divorce is a result of the fallenness of mankind, okay? So if a whole marriage, if a healthy marriage, is a metaphor for Christ and the church, okay? The church is like the bride of Christ. Jesus is like the groom. Their marriage is like the, our relationship with Jesus. If that's true, then divorce is a metaphor for the fall. Okay. So often when someone has been through a divorce, they don't come out hating divorce. I said that already. They come out hating marriage, which is a bad thing. Um, God loves and affirms marriage and he hates divorce. And so let's let that be our kind of foundational attitude, no matter what we've experienced in life. All right. So let's look at the historical backdrop of the New Testament. Um, how did divorce work at the time? That's really important. Help us understand, especially with G when Jesus is talking about divorce, it helps us understand what exactly he's talking about and what question he's answering, right? Otherwise, you're sort of, it's like you're listening to half of a telephone call, right? So Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, this is what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, we'll talk about that word indecency in a minute, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, 
And the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. All right, so basically the scenario here is there's a divorce and there's some specific things about how you get divorced. And then the woman leaves, she remarries, and then either that guy divorces her or he dies and now she's a widower. And then the first guy can't just go claim her as his wife. Okay. Not really sure why this was important, an important rule to state. The most probable reason that I've found is that it was a common thing in the world at that time for men. It was sort of a form of legal sex trafficking for men to give a divorce to their wife, give her to another guy. And when he got tired of her, I'm sorry, that's dark. I know it's dark. He could divorce her and then the guy could take her back. Um, or a woman in, you know, a, a less dark possibility would be a woman is passed around essentially from husband to husband, divorce to divorce and never has control because the first guy says he still has authority over her, even though she's been divorced. Okay. And the law is saying, no, you can't do that. All right. But that's not where the debate was. Debate, the debate was over the word indecency in verse one. What does that mean? Does it what qualifies an, as an indecency? This is some kind of um, physical, sexual indecency. It seems like, and the debate was between um, one group defined indecency as an impropriety the husband thought worthy of divorce, which could include no joke, messed up hair in public. Okay, um, the other camp took the phrase and hates her. And, and as an excuse to divorce the woman for any displeasure on his part whatsoever, including, no joke, messed up dinner. All right. There's actually literature you can read um, between rabbis arguing over this. And these are the examples they use. All right. So this is the backdrop in Jewish culture. Then Jesus is answering his question in Matthew 5, which we talked about last week based on that. But this morning, I want to look at Matthew 19. 3 through 12, it's a little more clear that this is what he's addressing, okay? And we're going to pick up a three principles from this verse to kind of get us in the ballpark. Um, Matthew 19, starting in verse 3, And Pharisees came up to him, him being Jesus, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So we just read that verse in Leviticus 24. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Okay, that's why I say God is not pro-divorce. He just allows it because of the hardness of our hearts. Okay. 
And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, let's see how far I'm going to go to verse 12. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Oh, yeah. The disciples are like, wait a minute. See, they've been under this, this idea that you can just almost make up a reason to divorce your wife, write her a certificate of divorce, kind of make it legal, hand it to her and kick her out, and you're out of the marriage. And here Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. What God puts together, you man cannot separate. And they're dismayed. They're like, well, <laughs> you, who would want to get married, right? Which is kind of funny, but it's, it's instructive to us, right? That marriage is a big deal. It's a big commitment and it's serious, right? It's not a flippant thing. Jesus says to them, verse 11, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. In other words, Jesus says, well, you can always be single. It's not bad to be single. Paul picks this up and talks about it more in just a minute. All right, so these are, this is, Jesus says, this is a hard thing. And so if you're, you're sitting there right now, I can imagine like you're, if, depending on your, your background, if you've been divorced or you're in a difficult marriage, these are hard words. And so what can we pick up? What are some of the principles we can pull out of here um, so far before we go into Paul's teaching? Um, the debated verse is verse 9. Does the exception of sexual immorality, it says, apply to the divorce and the remarriage or just the divorce? This is a hugely debated verse. In other words, because if you're thinking about divorce and remarriage, it's obvious that sexual immorality is an ex a reason for that God gives for a divorce. Jesus says that clearly. Okay, Sexual immorality is... A big junk drawer term, which we'll talk about in a second, but that's one obvious exception. The question here is, does that exception apply to divorce or divorce and remarriage? Okay, Meaning if you're divorced because of sexual immorality, can you then remarry? Um, in Greek, it isn't actually that clear, right? Don Carson's commentary, by the way, is great on Matthew, especially on this topic. He does a long analysis of this verse, along with Matthew 5.32, which we talked about last week. And his conclusion is that it applies to both. Sexual immorality is a legitimate reason for divorce, and it's also frees up the person um, who's been cheated on to go remarry, and it's not adultery. Okay? Um, and that seems to be pretty broadly accepted by conservative scholars and translators. And that's what I'm going with. I think it makes most sense, not only of this verse and the grammar, but it makes the most sense of all the scriptures that the Bible says has about the topic. Okay, so three principles so far. One, a divorce or a death permanently dissolves the marriage. We can see that in Deuteronomy 24. Two, once divorced, they cannot remarry. Three, sexual immorality is a legitimate reason for divorce and remarriage. Okay. In other words, if your divorce is not legitimate, all right, you can't remarry. If your divorce is legitimate, and the, so far we've seen sexual immorality as one of those exceptions, you can remarry. All right. 
So what is sexual immorality? That's the next big question. And it's also, it's not that heavily debated, actually. There's some debate about it. Um, this is an important question, right? Because what we're talking about here is an exception to the no divorce rule. Okay, the rule is no divorce. The exception is sexual immorality. So then we got to define that, right? If we define it wrong, we define something, the exception wrong. Um, the Greek word here is an umbrella junk drawer term for any kind of sexual sin. The broadness of this term can be frustrating to people who, who are afraid of the slippery slope, who are afraid that people are going to use this as a loophole to get divorced for, you know, a guy just looking at a girl wrong. Okay. Um, and that's not what this means. Okay. It frustrates the legalist. However, it seems clear that the intent here is a sexual sin that compromises the covenant of marriage. And there's room for judgment calls, okay? I would say, for example, to give you a practical example, watching pornography is an example of sexual immorality, okay? It's actually where we in English get the word pornography from is for the Greek word for sexual immorality. Um, por watching pornography is marital unfaithfulness, okay? That's, we talked about this last week, but it makes it pretty serious. But... I would not say that if a husband, for example, catches his wife using pornography one time, then he can just divorce her or vice versa. That's not the intent of this, because the broadness of that term for sexual immorality should be narrowed in principle by the rule of God hates divorce. OK, you don't look at the exception by itself. You look at the rule. God hates divorce. The exception is sexual immorality. God hates divorce should narrow that definition. OK, that's what I think. Um, but, you know, if 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 you're in a situation where one member of that marriage is watching pornography unrepentant, won't change, won't respond to correction, um, and does this over a long period of time, then you might be talking about a reason for divorce. Okay. You might be talking about the kind of sexual immorality that Jesus has in view here. Okay. Um, I know that's fuzzy, but I'm not going to be any more clear than what the scripture is. All right. That's my commitment. All right. Let's look at Paul's teaching. Um, there's two places. One is Romans 7, which I'm not going to read um, this morning because we don't have time. And it's really not about divorce. Okay. A lot of people use it that way. And I'm probably going to make somebody mad out there on the interwebs that I'm not going to address it. Um, it's not actually about divorce. If you read it, Paul's teaching on not teaching on marriage at all. He's talking about how we're dead to the law, if you read it in context, because of being in Christ, and he's using marriage as an analogy. So one, it's not a good verse to use in general. All we can derive from that verse is that death dissolves a marriage. Okay, that's it. It's not about divorce. Um, it's not even really about marriage. Okay. Um, the surviving spouse of a death is free to remarry. All right. Um, which, by the way, sometimes people get confused when a spouse dies. They don't think they're somehow allowed to remarry, and that's not true. And Romans 7 is a good verse for that. Okay, let's look at the main scripture Paul uses, and it kind of gives us the rest of the meat of um, our teaching here, which is 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16. All right. Here's what it says. To the married, 
I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any husband, or excuse me, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, okay, by the way, we're talking about Greek and Roman um, divorce here. And in that culture, it was even easier to get divorced. You could literally just leave. Either partner could just leave the house, leave, pack up and leave and go, and the marriage is over. And so in this context, separate, the word separate and divorce are the same thing. We're talking about the same. Don't, don't force modern American, you know, separation and then divorce on that, that concept onto the verse here. Separation and divorce are the same thing here. Okay. Um, where was I? Verse... 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? All right. So when Paul states, not I, but the Lord, you see that um, up here at the beginning, he says that I think twice, two or three times. Um not I, but the Lord. I, not the Lord. Those two places. Um, what's he talking about? What's he doing there? What, what he's saying, what he means is this is not something Jesus addressed directly. In other words, he's not repeating a teaching from Jesus specifically, but, he's, but the teaching Paul is going to teach is in line with what Jesus taught. Okay. And so Paul's creating a delineation. He's not saying this is not authoritative. He's not saying this is not scripture. He's not saying this is just my opinion. Paul is being led by the spirit, right? This is scripture. It's authoritative. He's just saying this is not something Jesus addressed directly himself. Okay, this is not a situation that Jesus was asked about, um, which makes sense because you didn't have, at the, you know, in Jesus's context, when he was teaching on divorce and remarriage, he didn't have this concept even out there about believers and unbelievers and this separation between the two and the idea that you might have an unbeliever married to a believer. That wasn't a thing that existed in that time, at that moment, all right? This is a problem that came up shortly after in the church, okay? Um, so the reason that this is this problem did not exist, well, I talked about that already. Um, so Paul is giving a, a second exception to the no divorce rule. Okay, the first one is from Jesus that says sexual immorality is your exception to the no divorce rule. And now Paul gives us another one, which is where an unbelieving spouse abandons the marriage. Okay, the phrase, by the way, in verse 15, that says in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. That's important. I take that to mean that the abandoned spouse is free to remarry. Okay. There's entire books written about that phrase, right? So I just put that out there. Um, from what I what I understand, from what I've read, I've, I'm 
I'm confident that what Paul is saying there is for him was very clear that if an unbelieving spouse abandons you and leaves you, abandons your marriage, then that person who was abandoned is free to go remarry. They're not enslaved to that marriage any longer. And that would include, obviously, I think, uh, being able to remarry. Okay, so we'll look at our principles again. Um, the first three we've already talked about, we've, we're adding a fourth. The first one was a divorce or a death permanently dissolves the marriage. Our second one was once divorced, they cannot re remarry, assuming it's not a legitimate. Um, that's the rule, okay? There are exceptions. This first exception is sexual immorality is a legitimate reason for divorce and remarriage. And now our fourth principle pulled out of 1 Corinthians is abandonment by an unbelieving spouse is grounds for divorce and remarriage. All right. All right. So just like with sexual immorality, we've got to define the exception. What is abandonment? Okay. Abandonment would most obviously be physically leaving the marriage. That one's obvious. But I would also include a situation where a spouse is putting the family in danger or causing physical harm. Okay. So someone can abandon a marriage without physically leaving the home in order to maintain financial advantage, sexual access, physical control, etc. Okay. In those cases, I, I would say it's often the wife and children that are forced to physically leave. Okay, so if you've got a situation where the husband is physically assaulting the wife or the kids, I'd say before God, he is the one that's abandoned the marriage, but the wife and the kids are often the ones forced to actually physically leave. Okay, and I don't think because they're the ones being forced to physically leave that they're the ones that are abandoning the marriage. The one who abandoned the marriage was the husband who was assaulting them. Okay. Um, so I think that's a clear case where the woman is free at that point to divorce him and remarry after that. Okay. Um, the other issue here is whether they're an unbeliever or not. He says an unbelieving spouse abandons the marriage. So that's the second kind of qualification is they have to be an unbeliever. This is why, to be honest with you, that church discipline is so important. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to do a whole teaching on church discipline, but you can look at Matthew 18, 15 to 20, and 1 Corinthians 5. Both of those address the issue of church discipline. We talk about it very clearly in our LHC 101 class about how that works. If the spouse is a believer, then church discipline should be done, okay, before the divorce happens. So go back to our example about, um, you know, a husband who's... Uh, assaulting his wife or something, the wife and kids should leave. If they're in a church, the elders of the church should be immediately contacted. Church discipline should start because church discipline is the way that we legitimately before God would be able to investigate a situation and say, this person, we were to treat this person as an unbeliever. That's the language of scripture in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 is if someone refuses to repent, the church is to then treat them like an unbeliever, okay? Um, if the spouse does not respond, they should be treated as an unbeliever, and the abandoned spouse is no longer enslaved. Depending on the situation, they may need to physically separate while church discipline is being done. So one thing I want to say here is churches over the years have failed miserably at this point. Not always, 
And it's true that you always hear about the bad examples, not the good ones, right? However, church leadership should be, I'm speaking to myself, all right, and other churches out there, we should be vigilant in these cases to protect victims instead of blame them. Okay. Now, not everything's this cut and dry. There's not just a, abandonment is not just something that can happen just because of physical abuse. Um, there's all kinds of different ways, I think, to abandon a marriage. Um, I'm just using this as an example because it always comes up. Okay. Um, church history is full of failures in this regard, and it should not be so, be so. Quite often, churches blame the victim and enslave the victim in ways that I don't believe Paul ever would have taught. Okay, and it's clear to me in these scriptures that is not what Paul has in mind. In fact, Paul would say, you're free, you're not enslaved. There's nothing in scripture that should lead any elder to force women back into dangerous situations when they have reached out for help. Okay, there is nothing there. And it's a a hyper-conservative, legalistic view that fails to look at the exceptions and only sees that God hates divorce and refuses to look at the exceptions that causes churches sometimes to push women into situations where they often get hurt. And that's not good. All right. Um, all right. So those are our, what I believe are the two exceptions. Now let's look at hypotheticals um, or, or maybe frequently, frequently asked questions. This will probably bring all of this into clarity. What I'm not going to do, and I've done it sort of already is I don't want to give a bunch of hypotheticals because in my experience, every situation is weirdly different. Relationships are messy. They are confusing. Divorce is always like, it's quite literally like ripping two people, one person in half, right? Because the two become one flesh. And when you separate, it's like, it's like being torn in half. There's no clean way to do it. And it needs a lot of talk, face-to-face pastoral help okay it needs conversation it needs listening it needs questions and doing hypotheticals quite a lot of times just either ends up making people feel hurt or it ends up making people feel like they have a loophole that's not a good place because it gives their heart freedom to kind of be vindictive and it's not good and so but i will do a couple of questions that i can anticipate okay um so let's do these an emotional affair is a real thing. You've probably heard that term, which is like an affair, an intimate emotional relationship um, where maybe there's no sex involved, but there's an emotional heart connection that's really not good and ungodly and unfaithful. Okay. That's a real thing, but it does not count as sexual immorality. Okay. Sexual immorality is, doesn't mean anything. Okay. It's a, it's a specific word. All right. Um, unless there's actual sexual immorality. Okay, so having said that, an emotional affair will lead to abandonment or sexual immorality if it isn't stopped. Okay? So if you right now are married, even if your marriage is bad and it's struggling and you're frustrated with it, if you've got some person, some friend at work, some friend in the neighborhood, some whatever, some person out there that you are giving affection to that belongs to your spouse, 
or you're receiving affection from them that does not belong to you. It should come from your spouse. If you're giving them a place in your heart, emotionally, in your friendship, that you know is belongs exclusively to your spouse, that, that is, you are being unfaithful, okay? And you are on your way to either abandoning your marriage or committing sexual immorality against your spouse. And you need to completely cut that relationship off right now. You need to kill it. Don't kill the person. Kill the relationship. It's over. It's done. Cut it off. If you got to quit your job and leave, you need to do it. Um, this thing kind of thing happens all the time. And it is the beginning of a trap um, to destroy your marriage. All right. So that's important. Um, also, if you discover that your divorce, divorce was not legitimate, okay, um, irreconcilable differences is my favorite. It's always the one that gets put on the divorce papers, especially in Hollywood. That's what they always say. That is not a reason for divorce. It's not. Unless there's other stuff, unless there's sexual immorality or abandonment involved, it's not a reason for divorce. And quite often, it's just people give up and they get tired of being married. It's too hard. And they give up because there's been too many things happen. They've lied to each other too many times. They don't trust each other. There's all these problems, so they get divorced. That is not before God a reason for divorce, okay? Um, it's just not. So if you discover that, if you're reading these scriptures and you're going, oh, man, I kind of blew it, and you're single, you need to stay single. That's, I think that's the clear teaching of Scripture. I don't think there's any way around that, okay? If your divorce was not legitimate and your spouse is remarried, um, I would say you're free to remarry because that marriage is over. Everywhere in Scripture where multiple marriages are discussed, those marriages are seen as legitimate, okay? Along with this, I would say if you've remarried and now you're like, oh, man, I probably shouldn't have remarried, don't divorce your current spouse, okay? Um, there are people that teach that, and I think that's absolutely insane, okay? One sin doesn't make another sin right, okay? We don't, we don't, redemption doesn't come through sin. It cannot, okay? Redemption comes through Christ and repentance, okay? So if you've discovered, man, my divorce was, totally, I shouldn't have gotten divorced. It was a mistake. Um, just repent, okay? If you're single, stay single, um, if your previous spouse has been married or you've remarried, just repent, bring it before God, but don't blow up your current marriage or right, an attempt to fix an old one. Um, that is uh, grievous to me. And there are people that teach that. That's absolutely not what scripture teaches. Um, Paul was single, as was Jesus. Paul talks about singleness as a state of freedom to do more and risk more for the kingdom of God. We need to get this. There is something in our culture that's broken. Okay. And interestingly enough, it was way more broken then. Um, women were sort of seen as almost like less than people if they weren't married. Uh, they were seen like if you weren't married, male or female, you were there was something wrong with you. Okay, and that's less true now, but it still is true. And we need to get this straight. Paul doesn't talk about singleness that way. Paul talks about singleness as a gift, as a positive, as a, a state of freedom where you can risk more and not be concerned about the welfare of your wife or the welfare of your husband and your kids, but to be free to just take risks and go to do crazy things for Jesus, okay? That's the way Paul talks about singleness, okay? Marriage is also a great thing, 
Okay. Um, but I can't help but think that a big factor in our struggles with divorce is that we think marriage is the default state of a Christian, and it is not. Marriage is not the default state. Paul is real clear about that. And lastly, I would say divorce is never required by God, okay, in case it's not clear. Um, hoping for restoration is a godly pursuit, okay? As I would say, if you divorce and the divorce is not legitimate, okay, then you're single now. One of the things you're praying for is that God would restore that previous marriage, restore that person, however much of a long shot that may seem to be, okay? I think it's healthy to go for, through a season where you're really pressing into God for that marriage, even though the marriage has failed, okay? And to beseech God for that, no matter how crazy that may seem, okay? I think that's a good attitude. All right, so conclusion. Uh, let's end how we started. God hates divorce. And so beware of treating the exceptions like the rule and the rule like the exception, okay? The rule is God hates it. We should hate it. Whether you've been divorced or not, and like I said, I think in my experience, people who've been through divorce hate it more than most people, right? Um, and so I don't think that's a hard thing to say, but that's the right attitude. Don't hate marriage, hate divorce. Treat that like the rule and the exceptions like the exceptions, not the other way around. Um, but here's what I want to say is no matter what you have done or has been done to you, okay, if you blew up your marriage yourself and you feel terrible about it, or if your spouse just left you, um, if you left your spouse, if you years later and you're still experiencing the pain of that divorce, I find that's very common. Many years later, people still struggling with that one event. Um, Jesus really can redeem all of it. Okay. Every single bit of it. It begins by taking a hard look at what Scripture says. It begins with that and, and just seeing the truth, seeing what God says. And then wherever you failed, just repent. Bring it to Jesus. He loves you. He's, he wants to just completely wash you clean and completely restore you so that you aren't carrying that thing around anymore. Um, Part of repentance is making yourself willing to do whatever work of reconciliation. Reconciliation is forgiveness and repentance. Whatever needs to be done now with the people involved, okay? Quite often, especially in kind of brutal divorce situations, there's a lot of fallout in relationships all around, okay? And seeking restoration in as many places as you can is important, um, whether that be present or former spouse, children, friends, etc. cetera, okay? Um, so here's my offer to you. If you need help, you need to ask your pastor or elders. I don't know how many of you out there watching this are in our church, Living Hope Church, or from outside. I can imagine a lot of people out there thinking about divorce and searching for something on the internet and finding a video like this. I just want to tell you, you need to talk to people face-to-face. -face. Searching on the internet is not going to get it done, okay? Um. You need, if, so if you're in our church and either your marriage is messed up and you're starting and you're searching, you're doing the Google search for reasons for divorce in the Bible or whatever, um, talk, talk to me, talk to one of our elders. Let's talk, talk it through. If you've been divorced and you're struggling with it, you're struggling to understand what God thinks about it, um, talk to one of us 
we can we can sit with you, talk with you, listen to you, pray with you, <clears throat> minister grace to you. Um, that's I think that's important. Okay, um, to get a human being who is an elder in the body of Christ who um, has some wisdom and some authority to walk you through that. That's important instead of just wondering this stuff by yourself. Um, this is not something you should do alone. All right. Okay. I think that's it. I'm going to pray for you. I love you guys very much. I hate that I can't, that I'm talking about this and I can't see your faces. Um, but I trust the Holy Spirit's doing what he needs to do. Okay. And so reach out for help. Um, if you need it, and I'm going to pray for you right now. God, I just pray. God, there's so many different people, groups of types of people, categories of people that are on my mind this morning. Uh, there's people who are in marriages on the brink of falling apart. And God, there's people who are in the middle of a divorce right now. And there's people who maybe got divorced years ago and it absolutely wrecked them. And there's also people, I'm sure, that just abandoned their marriage and walked away and they shouldn't have. And there's so much shame and guilt and um, even, even quite often self-justification or anger or bitterness and all these things get associated with this topic. And God, I just, I just pray now that you would step into each one of those situations. All of them are different. God, that you would bring truth, clarity, and God, you would bring mercy and grace. God, that there would be repentance where there needs to be repentance. There would be forgiveness where there needs to be forgiveness. God, that there would be reconciliation where it didn't seem possible before. God, that you would hold marriages together. God, especially in this church. God, every marriage that's shaky right now, would you bring, um, just expose the truth between them that they could reconcile and repent and forgive and come back into unity. And God, I just ask you to, to move, use this um, this truth, God, to rescue people and bring redemption in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. I love you so much. And we will see you next week.